Hello, everyone. Looks like we are live. Welcome, welcome. Uh, my name is Manar Adley, and I am the founder and director of Mint Press News and your host of the Mintcast podcast. This is the official podcast of Mint Press News. This show is made possible by supporters like you. And as we face shadow banning on so many platforms and the crackdown on independent anti-war journalism intensifies, we ask that you support us by becoming a member on our Patreon page, which we will link in the comments below. The Mintcast podcast is also available on all of your favorite podcast platforms. So let's get started. Amid ongoing endless wars and embarrassing military defeats, the United States Army is facing a recruitment crisis. Only 9% of Generation Z report having any interest at all in joining the military. So it seems that the Army has come up with a novel solution to try to recruit more young people using thirst traps. According to our guest today, the military is using a generation of e-girls in uniform posting sexually suggestive content in order to lure horny young men into enlisting. That guest is Alan McLeod, Mint Press senior staff writer and author of the new article, which is on our website right now, From Simp to Soldier, how the military is using e-girls to recruit Generation Z into service, which which you can read right now exclusively at Mint Press. Alan, welcome back. It's great to be with you as always, Manar. Thank you. So. I want to start by talking about Haley Lujan, uh, one of the people you based the article around. Who is she and why did she pique your interest as one of these uh, e-girls the military is using? Yeah, sure. So Haley Lujan is a 21-year-old Zoomer, according to her social media profiles. Her uh, accounts have really been blowing up over the last few months as she's been posting a lot of uh, military-based uh, content. She's got oh, nearly three quarters of a million TikTok fans and many tens of thousands more on other platforms like Instagram or YouTube. She seems to post pretty much you know, in between the memes and uh, pictures of her in bikinis and vaguely scantily clad uh, sexually suggestive content. Uh, it seems that about 20-30% of her, her her output is really just hardcore recruitment pitches to join the U.S. Army. And if you read the comments uh, from her, uh, for her videos on TikTok or pictures on Instagram, a lot of people are saying, you know, you're so beautiful, I want to join up. But then a whole lot of other people are saying, this is a psyop, this is propaganda, I don't believe any of this. And the thing is, is that her fans are kind of right. She is a psyop, technically. And what I mean by that is that she really is a member of the Psychological Operations Division of the United States Army, which is a small group, a small unit within uh, the U.S., uh, whose job it is um, to propagandize, persuade, and, um, you know, just generally get away with uh, shifting the public attitude on, uh, on everything. So if you read the Army's recruitment website description of the role, it sounds very similar to the sort of content she's actually putting out supposedly on her own. So it says, as a psychological operations specialist, you'll be an expert in persuasion. And then it goes on to say, quote, you'll assess and develop the information needed to influence and engage specific audiences. You'll broadcast important information through various mediums and assist U.S. and foreign governments militaries and civilian populations. And so really, when you read the sort of definition of what a psychological operations officer is doing, it sounds quite a lot like what Luhan herself is putting out there. She seems to really, uh, you know, uh, lean into this whole am I or am I thing on her, her Instagram and her TikTok. Uh, there are plenty of other uh, influencers out there who post stuff about military life, but it tends to be very sort of tame and very mundane. With Luhan, it's like really bizarre stuff, and it's really over the top, the sort of propaganda she puts out. And as I said, she really leans into it. All, loads of her posts are things called like, you know, this is the most wholesome Fed post, or my handlers made me post this, or definitely not endorsed by the Department of Defense, smiley face, stuff like that, which really gets you to start to look into this weird meta, um, you know, um, 
how would you say, like postmodern way of thinking about propaganda. But honestly, I think if you were Edward Bernays, you might say that it doesn't really matter whether she is or whether she isn't being supported by the military, because ultimately what this is doing is getting people who look at this content, and there are millions of people watching this stuff, uh, to associate uh, lustfulness and horniness with joining the military. It's literally making them horny for war. And I think at the very least, what we can say is that the army is tacitly supporting Lujan. Uh, and at most, it, this is a bizarre dystopian new era of late capitalism where people are being told to join up by psyops who are literally in the US army, but posting, you know, horny pictures for them to get off on. It really is a crazy story. So tell me about like how she's taking these pictures um, and where she's taking them. That's kind of causing that confusion from people and having them to think about, you know, is this a psyop or not? Yeah, sure. I mean, I did ask the army for a response, uh, sorry, the Department of Defense uh, for a response, but I didn't get anything. Um, they're famously image conscious. They're like Disney or whatever. They really have a tight control over how they are presented in uh, mass media. Uh, but so many of these uh, images that she's posting come from classified U.S. Uh, army bases, which you can't get in unless you are you know, either a member of the military or have special dispensation to get there. So she's posting them from, uh, you know, these big, um, these big military installations, like, for instance, Fort Campbell, where she appears to be based, which is on the Tennessee-Kentucky border and houses thousands of, um, of troops. So it seems clear that, uh, you know, she has some sort of tacit consent from the army. Maybe that's because they see what she's posting and they either like it or they see that it's improving their um, image in some way. But it's, it's clear that, you know, to some extent that the military is on board with this. We don't know how, how much they're actually like contributing to this, but certainly the military, for instance, the official um, Air Force media guide states that you are encouraged to use social media to share your experiences as an airman because they say, your stories might inspire someone to join the Air Force, support the Air Force, mm -hmm. comfort a parent or spouse, improve morale, or correct inaccurate information. And so those experiences, uh, however, in terms of the military, they better be positive ones because it also warns in that same handbook that's given to Air Force personnel that, and I'm quoting, uh, sharing sorts of information could, quote, jeopardize uh, you and your airman's career end quote, if they don't really line up with uh, the military's objectives and understanding of what their role is. So yeah, ultimately, I think there must be some kind of uh, agreement going on between Lujan and the military, even if it's just a tacit one. Well, and she's not the first, nor will she probably be the last woman to be used to lure young men into joining the military. I mean, Israel famously uses the same kind of tactics online to hypersexualize the Israeli military, um, you know, using women to show to lure people into the Israeli military and also to kind of show that Israel is a so-called liberal state um, that has many women in the military. So Luhan and the other woman you profiled in the article um, from, you know, which is called the article is called From Simp to Soldier, How the Military is Using E-Girls to Recruit Gen Z into Service, which you can find on our website. Um, talk to me about the other women that are being used by other militaries, perhaps the Israeli military, um, that are using, you know, beautiful, sexy young women to, um, as part of their propaganda campaign to, um, to showcase the military. Yeah, I think Israel is probably the OG on this exact uh, issue. They have been using female faces to uh, color their image for a very long time. And Luhan is a small fry compared to the queen of the Simp2 soldier pipeline, which is Natalia Fadeev, who is a Israeli IDF military police woman who gained infamy uh, as the so-called IDF cat girl, um, posting images of her wearing you know, cat ears and doing extremely suggestive content, all while also wearing military uniforms. If you look at Fadeev's... Um, 
account. She's got over 2.7 million followers on TikTok and over 770,000 on Instagram. And her content is just like super extremely horny posting interspersed with, you know, uh, absolutely blatant pro-Israel propaganda. So she, for instance, has a whole playlist on YouTube, which is called something like The Truth About Israel, which she talks about how, you know, Palestinians are an invented people, the Israeli military is the most moral army in the world, and how Israel is this bastion of human rights and a safe haven for LGBTQ people. But um, yeah, this uh, Fadeyev is not really the only person doing this. In fact, there was a leaked document that came out more than 10 years ago now uh, talking about how uh, Israeli governments and generally the Zionist movement uh, more broadly do like to put female faces um, on their uh, image because it's a better sell to people. Apartheid doesn't look nearly as uh, rough and... uh, and inhuman when it's coming from a young woman's face. So very often they do specifically use um, uh, younger women to be their spokespersons. Uh, Even if you want to go to like the official account of the IDF, the Israeli Defense Forces, uh, their page is full of like horny posting and thirst traps of beautiful young women in uniform. And so really, I think uh, the US stunts are kind of old hats compared to the IDF. Not only that, the IDF has got this sort of small subculture, actually not so small, of uh, committed loyalists all around the world of people who post images like, you know, Israeli beauty or Israeli military girls in uniform. Some of these accounts have hundreds of thousands of followers, and they're really doing a great job in sort of, um, uh, you know, creating, creating a bit more of a rosy picture for the apartheid state. Well, it's clear that sex sells and um, a lot of these uh, young men are being lured to their social media pages and and it's working to lure them into the military. But um, this military recruitment phenomenon is not just happening on TikTok. You found through your investigation that the army has been recruiting YouTube stars to sell the military uh, to their millions of fans as well. Talk to us about that. Oh, yeah, sure. So this one's a bit more brazen. And clearly, the links between the army and big social media influencers are much more clear here, because the social media influencers themselves, because of YouTube's uh, strict rules on advertising, have to directly say if they're being funded for these videos that they're producing. Um, The Pentagon has an enormous budget right now, Uh, The biggest budget in its history is well over $800 billion. But in fact, when you add in things like nuclear weapons, which are actually handled by the Department of Energy or uh, veterans' pensions and salaries and things like that, which are uh, handled by another uh, part of the U.S. government, the actual figure that the U.S. spends on war is probably much higher than or at least higher than $1 trillion per year. And a significant part of that budget goes towards advertising. And in the last 12 months or so, there's been a real push away from, you know, standard old media and into social media and new media, specifically because the United States military really has to start uh, targeting Generation Z, who simply just do not watch television or read newspapers or listen to the radio. So they've got to find them where they are and where they are is on places like TikTok, YouTube, and Instagram. So when we're talking about YouTube, for example, in the last 12 months, there have been a number of huge influencers who have done very similar, eerily similar videos, actually, all about how they are, quote-unquote, joining the army or joining the military or the Marines or whoever for a few days. And most of them travel to uh, big forts uh, or military installations, whereby they will learn the ropes, so to speak. But always they're showing a very sort of glossy picture of it. So it's always the sort of crawling under nets and over obstacle courses and learning how to build bridges as teams and shooting guns and maybe getting to ride in planes, etc. And this is being marketed to tens of millions of young Americans who very often surveys show cannot tell the difference between sponsored content and uh, native advertising and just genuine, you know, open content. One example of this is uh, the YouTube star Michelle Kerr, 
who has 3.8 or 3.7 million subscribers. She joined the army for a video. She traveled to Fort Benning in Georgia, where, as I said, jumped over obstacle courses, trained to jump out of a plane, etc. She never talks about Fort Benning's infamous reputation for training some of Latin America's worst dictators and most brutal human rights abusers. Um, you know, and you know, if you actually read the small print this is in underneath, I just want to point. You can, I just sorry. want to point out that this is her right, right? I just wanted to point out that this is her yeah. in the video. That's this is her, her video exactly. Yeah. But if you read the small print underneath, oh no, sorry. Uh, if you read the small print uh, underneath that video. There'll be things that say, you know, go army, this is an ad, etc. And in fact, there's even an affiliate link for CARE to sign up for the army. So presumably that suggests she's getting some sort of kickback for everybody who enlists. I'm not sure about that, but it's quite possible. And that video we're watching on YouTube, as you might have seen, uh, eagle-eyed viewers, had about 2.8 million views. And wow. this isn't even, you know, the biggest star that's doing this. Uh, one of the big mega influencers uh, ben Azelart, I think you pronounce his surname like that, made pretty much the same video. It was called YouTubers versus the US Army, where he also glamorized uh, military life and he was interviewing officers who said, you know, uh, the whole point of the army is about transforming an, an individual, you know, bettering yourself, traveling the world and becoming, you know, a better version of who you are. And again, Azelart, like, um, like Care was also careful to direct his 20.8 million subscribers towards an army recruitment link saying, you know, these challenges are incredible, but if you have any interest in joining the military, click this link, etc. And there is an absolute ton of these when you start uh, actually looking for the, the hashtags, the ads, the go army hashtags that these people are using on YouTube. Uh, so many of them are just fawning with praise over the military, talking about how we appreciate and love all of you. And guys, you know, uh, if, if you're a teenager watching this, please think about joining the military. It really is extraordinary how this is going on. And what I want to say about these is that I think these are much more powerful and potent than normal advertising that you might see in between, you know, the second quarter of an NFL or NBA game. And the reason is, is that... <clears throat> Unlike uh, the content on television, on YouTube, joining the army, the military is the content. That's what you're watching it for. And not only that, it's not being presented as an ad, really. Uh, and it's coming through the voice of people who have actually subscribed to this YouTuber and presumably follow them and put a lot of faith in what they have to say and what they do. And so it's, this message is coming courtesy of stars that viewers love, respect, and trust. And so I think it's a much more potent strategy to try and soften the army's image and uh, recruit teenagers for the biggest killing machine in the world. Absolutely. And I would, you know, as we talk about um, and have covered now how influencers um, and social, how the military uses influencers and in social media, how else does the military quietly or covertly attempt to appeal um, to young people? Well, uh, yeah, they, uh, they have so many ways in, in uh, which they're actually doing this just now. Another way, they're trying to really get into Twitch, which for people under 30 is basically like live streaming YouTube, which everybody in Generation Z and younger seems to spend hours every day watching. Um, for example, the US military hosts uh, gaming tournaments of like first person shooters, which are very similar to how, uh, or at least claim to be very similar to how military life is. The army even fields its own esports teams, which kind of subtly suggests to people watching that you can enlist and then just play video games all day, which really is not the case, just in case anybody has uh, that, uh, that, uh, that idea about the army. Um, they've also been caught recruiting uh, young people, luring them onto websites, offering them prizes like free games controllers, etc. But in fact, when you click the link, they're sent to a military recruitment website. I know Twitch mm -hmm. had to, actually had to clamp down on that a little while ago. And these uh, military recruiters, when you're in lobbies with them, playing games, etc., they're, uh, you know, they're actually trying to recruit these young people, some of them who are even children, 
Now, there's a huge panic right now about groomers in the United States, but these people are very much real-life demonstrable groomers. They are grooming kids in a lot of ways, and the language they use is very similar, in fact, and they're trying to enlist them into the military. Uh, I mentioned uh, first-person shooters as well. The military also is very much involved with big video game companies like um, Activision Blizzard, who make the video game Call of Duty. Um, leaked documents, or uh, sorry, documents obtained under the Freedom of Information Act show how uh, the military actually works quite closely with Activision Blizzard and other big uh, companies to make them, in their own words, and I quote, more credible advocates, end quote, for the military. And what that means is they fly uh, gaming executives all over the world and all over the United States to meet with them, wine and dine them, and show them all the latest military tech. And basically what they're doing is they're trying to get them on board to make sure that their games aren't anti-war or have any sort of messages that the U.S. Army wouldn't like. And this goes so far as to even try to infiltrate big gaming companies so, for example, Activision Blizzard, which makes uh, the most popular uh, military game, Call of Duty, their upper management is absolutely stacked with former national security state officials. Um, one obvious example of this is Brian Bulatow, who is Activision Blizzard's chief administration officer right now. He was a former army captain and a consultant for McKinsey & Company. But until 2018, he was actually the chief operating officer for the CIA, which makes him third in command of that particular agency. And when CIA director Mike Pompeo, who was Trump's uh, director, moved over to the State Department, uh, Bulatow went with him and was appointed the Undersecretary State for Management. Um, by all accounts, he was quite a, a tough man to get you know, involved with, and it was very difficult to work with him. But when the Trump uh, administration failed in their bids for re-election, Bulatow, instead of going back to the CIA or the State Department, took this absolutely bizarre uh, turn in his career and was appointed uh, one of the highest uh, ranking members of a fun video games company, despite having no relevant experience to the entertainment industry. Now, that to somebody who is a bit naive might sound absolutely ridiculous. How could this person get this job? But if you think of video games as, you know, the cutting edge of propaganda selling war to children, suddenly it makes much more sense why higher-ups from the CIA and the State Department would want to be in these video game companies. Another example of this is uh, Fran Townsend, who is also at Activision Blizzard. She's their senior counsel, and until September, she was the chief compliance officer and executive vice president for corporate affairs. Um, before joining Activision Blizzard, Townsend had a long career in the national security state. She was uh, head of intelligence for the Coast Guard and then served as Condoleezza Rice, who was the secretary of the state at the time. Uh, she was her counterterrorism deputy. And in 2004, President Bush actually appointed Fran Townsend to his intelligence advisory board. So she was really one of the key people in George Bush's ear at the start of the Iraq war. Uh, you could even call her like one of the terrorism czars for Bush. And really in her job in the Bush administration, her job was basically to whip the American public into a fear about uh, a potential terrorist attack or a dirty bomb going off in the United States, which never obviously came after 9-11. Um, she was one of the people who really um, popularized the term enhanced interrogation techniques, which was a 2000s euphemism for torture, especially the stuff that was going on at Guantanamo Bay. And in fact, the person who was in charge of Guantanamo Bay, Lieutenant, Curden, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Stephen Jordan, he actually, uh, sorry, he wasn't in charge of Guantanamo Bay, he was in charge of Abu Ghraib. He actually alleged uh, and has testified that Townsend put a lot of pressure on him to ramp up the torture program at uh, Abu Ghraib, uh, reminding him many, many times that he needed to improve the intelligence output from the Iraqi jail. Um, Townsend has never apologized for this. In fact, she continues to use uh, to support uh, enhanced interrogation techniques. 
And during the Trump administration, it was actually widely uh, reported that she had been offered the job as head of the FBI, or at least that Trump was considering offering her that job. Instead of taking that job, she instead gets appointed to this video game company, Activision Blizzard, which makes the most popular military shooter. So again, we have to ask ourselves, why is this happening? And unless yeah. we frame this in the sense that the uh, national security state is deeply, deeply involved with all levels of pop culture in the United States, we won't understand this. I mean, Call of Duty, its reach is absolutely billions, and video games are a huge industry, which are, you know, in some ways much more important than things like movies because they are primarily used by young people. And then young people will play these things for weeks and months on a time. So it really is a fantastic medium to get uh, pro-war propaganda out there. And I think that's exactly what the military is doing here. Well, and all of these young people are impressionable. Um, their brains are still developing and their view of the world is developing. And so what better way than to basically program them, program their subconscious to support war. And that was really cool of Trump to try, you know, in his attempt to drain the swamp, right? <laughs> um, that was definitely not a draining the swamp kind of move. <laughs> yeah. No. Um, so one thing that stands out is an obvious one is that the United States of America is the um, and it and it's, is is run by a war economy. You know, we are driven by the military industrial complex. So the military, Pentagon spending, all of those things is number one is the number one driving factor here. So they are much more visible here than in other countries. Is that a deliberate strategy from the Pentagon? Yeah, I think one of the things that's most stark about American society. Uh, compared to, say, European society, is just the absolute overt role of the military in public life. As I said before, the United States has a gargantuan military budget, spends about as much as the rest of the world combined. In fact, there was a recent study from the Institute for Policy Studies which showed that the United States spends at least uh, or the same as 144 nations on its military combined. And that doesn't include, uh, as I said, uh, nuclear weapons or veteran stuff. But uh, yeah, military worship is just baked into American life. Phrases like, thank you for your service, mm. simply don't really exist in other parts of the world. This is something that really only happens in the United States. And it's not entirely natural. In fact, the military has spent decades trying to push this sort of military worship into public life and many ways they go about it are actually you know really quite surprising if for instance you go to a sports game you might be uh, actually at some sort of military parade or recruitment rally that you didn't know of major league baseball for example in may had this huge uh, military appreciation day where all on-field personnel including uh including players umpires and the rest were mandated to wear camel baseball caps and and uh, encouraged to wear other items of camel clothing, all in a sort of sense to try to link America's sports with America's other passion, which is war. Uh, you can see jet overpasses happening outside uh, sports stadiums all the time. This usually happens on Veterans Day when, you know, sports leagues like the NFL, suddenly everybody's wearing, you know, uh, camel stuff. Uh, the military has a huge presence in schools in the United States, which really doesn't happen in a lot of other countries. There are laws in other countries to prevent children and other young people being, uh, you know, given the hard sell by recruiters. In fact, a lot of countries just ban the military altogether from uh, coming into uh, government buildings like schools. Hmm. Uh, we in the United States are, as I said, basically an extremely militarized society. It's almost like it is at war permanently. And the reason for that is, is that it's true the United States is at war constantly. Mm -hmm. The 247 years it has been an independent country, 227 of those have been spent uh, at war. And most of the earlier ones, uh, most of the earlier days were spent, you know, attacking the native population. And so really, you could say this is a country that's addicted to war, that's founded on war and continues to thrive because of war. As the great writer Chris Hedges says, war is a force that gives us meaning. And ultimately, 
as I always say, it's very hard to understand the United States and how it operates in a global context if you're not really thinking of it as a worldwide empire. And of course, if the United States is an empire with 800 military bases encircling the globe, bombing seven or eight countries simultaneously, Mm -hmm. as uh, President Obama was doing, empires need armies. And where are you going to get these armies from? You need the cannon fodder from somewhere. And so ultimately, the United States has constantly marketed uh, people, uh, marketed uh, a military life to working class Americans. And it's generally poor Americans who are sucked into this because they don't have the money for college or they don't have uh, a way out of this poverty. And so recruiters come along, promise them all sorts of things, half of which aren't even true. Uh, and yeah, I can see why uh, ordinary Americans might consider taking this military route out of their poverty. But ultimately, what I would say is, um, so steer clear. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> people who go into this end up broken, if yeah. not physically, morally, or psychologically as well. The rates of post-traumatic stress disorder among uh, military veterans is absolutely enormous. Between yeah. six and seven, six and seven thousand. Uh, soldiers kill themselves every year, which is more than, than die in the battlefields. There's very little help from you from the military once you actually uh, de-enlist. Only 17% of uh, army recruits in the United States stay long enough to actually gain a full pension. And so ultimately, these guys are chewed up and spat out by a machine which propagandizes them from cradle to grave talking about how this is the most noble thing you can do with your life, when actually what you're doing is you're serving as cannon fodder for a global empire. Absolutely. I mean, that was brilliantly said. And it kind of reminded me too, apart from just how horrific the PTSD is for all of these service members that come back and they really don't get the care that they need, a lot of them end up getting addicted to the prescription drugs that they take for anxiety um, and they end up committing suicide or going uh, or becoming psychotic because, you know, they lose touch with reality because they're so traumatized. But I remember Alan, um, cause you know, I was born and raised here in America and living in a post nine 11 world. Um, the U S military tried to recruit young Muslims like myself um, to join the military to work as translators. And so I was um, contacted numerous times straight out of high school to try to join the military. And of course, you know, I never did. <laughs> um, my life took a different route, of course, but they definitely target young people. They go to the schools and I'm glad to hear that other countries are protecting their children um, from these from these institutions, because that really is scary to think that they are targeting kids um, through video games and other uh, means now with social media. Um, yeah, and I mean, I, yeah. I grew up in the UK and I did say we in America earlier. And, you know, as I said, I grew up in the UK, but I said that because um, it doesn't matter where you're from. The United States is such a global hegemon that we basically live in one country, which is the US, which is why everybody looks to the elections and pays attention to them because it really matters if you're from the Middle East or the East Asia or wherever you're from, it really does mm-hmm. matter who is in charge in Washington because, you know, you're basically finding out whether you're going to get bombed or not. So, yeah. And also the United Kingdom has an absolutely horrible record when it comes to uh, its military absolutely. and its imperialism. Uh, the UK is one of the only countries which uh, officially uses child soldiers up until this day. So there's not that much, uh, you know, to write home about when it comes to the UK either. Well, and when I was contacted, I just want to add this um, thing, this comment. When I was contacted, I actually yelled at the guy who was trying to recruit me and told him, you are currently bombing, you know, Iraq. You've destroyed Afghanistan. There's no way that I would ever join the military and work for you. So <laughs> just want to make sure. Um, I well, you've that got a different <laughs> style to me. If, if that was me, I'd have just been quietly saying, uh, no, thanks. And you're done. <laughs> Well, when you grow up in a post 9-11 world in America as a Muslim, as a Palestinian, you kind of, you become enraged by all the propaganda. Um, So one of the topics you cover most frequently for us at Mint Press News is how the national security state inserts itself into social media and pop culture. Could you tell us about the extent to which Hollywood has been corrupted by the Pentagon as well? 
Yeah, so I talked about video games and social media a lot, but uh, one of the biggest ones is television and movies, and this has been going on for decades. I mean, researchers like Tom Secker or Tricia Jenkins or Matthew Alford keep unearthing the extent uh, to which the Pentagon and the CIA are involved in pop culture by getting just troves of fired information about the sorts of TV shows and movies they're involved in. So, for instance, Tom Secker and Matthew Alford's latest research, uh, which has been going on for 15 years or more now, shows that perhaps up to 10,000 movies and TV shows have been uh, co-produced or otherwise influenced uh, by the Department of Defense. Um, access to either you know, stuff that the CIA has or the military has is kept tight under wraps. If you're a film producer and you want uh, the latest battleships or you want tanks or you want access to the latest fifth or whatever generation fighter we're on now, or if you want thousands of men in uniform for cheap or for free, you really have to go cap in hand to the military because those things uh, are either extremely expensive to use. I mean, think about how much it would cost to hire out one of these F-35s if you even can do that, or they're just absolutely off limits. And the military is really the only place that has this wealth of uh, resources. And there is a quid pro quo going on there. The military gets involved in these, um, these titles, but they don't do it for free. They don't ask for money very often. They do have some kind of income going on. But generally, there is a quid pro quo going on, which is the military accepts uh, being involved, but what they want is editorial control over the script. And what the documents that I've looked at and published at Mint Press News, for example, in one article you can read about, one article is called How the Pentagon Leaned on Hollywood to Sell the War in Afghanistan. Uh, you, if you go through the uh, declassified uh, documents, the ones obtained under the Freedom of Information Act, it really becomes clear that the military is calling the shots here. They are dotting every I and crossing every single T of any uh, title that they're, um, that they're involved with. And they often say that they're doing this just to make sure that the military is presented accurately and there are no factual mistakes. But again, if you read the documents, that becomes absolutely clear that that's not the case because the people at the Department of Defense insist on taking very often true information out of films and changing it around so that the military doesn't look as bad. So things like veteran suicides get cut, things like uh, veterans joining up because they have no other opportunities gets cut, even things like having tattoos or having longer hair or a beard or anything like that. They're very, very uh, famously image conscious. All that stuff gets taken out. And the sorts of uh, emails that gets exchanged show that there is an absolute my way or the highway rule of uh, rule by decree by the Department of Defense, meaning that you are going to change absolutely everything about this script. And if you don't, we're pulling the plug. And the list of films that the U.S. military has been co-produced on is absolutely extraordinary. Obviously, many of the military films are in there, but also some of the biggest franchises you can think of, like Iron Man franchise, the Avengers franchise, Transformers, James Bond, Jurassic Park franchise. All of these sorts of things are um, being made with the help of the Department of Defense, who insist that the military is presented in an extremely positive light. Uh, I would urge everybody to go on the Internet Movie Database, imdb.com, and just look up one guy, Philip Strub. He was the, uh, until very recently, before he retired, he was the Department of Defense's liaison at, um, at, uh, in, out in Los Angeles. And the list of films that he is credited as having a role on is absolutely staggering. I would say, arguably... Maybe only Steven Spielberg has a better resume than Philip Straub, and perhaps not even him. The sorts of films that he has been involved in for decades, usually his uh, role doesn't say production or producer. It'll say something like special thanks. But the emails that I've seen show that he is actually rewriting whole scripts uh, from head to toe, changing out um, narratives and storylines to make the military look as 
as good as possible. It is extraordinary the sort of power that the uh, Department of Defense has over popular culture. And if you don't go along with this, um, your film probably won't get made because, again, these researchers that I, uh, I've worked with have found lists of hundreds of movies that were rejected by the Department of Defense for collaboration. And these hundreds of movies never got made. So they got to the point where they wrote the script and actually went to the military. Then the military said no, and that was a deal breaker. Wow. Because, of course, <laughs> if you don't have the military's help, it's going to cost you millions and millions of dollars to shoot some of these scenes uh, involving helicopters and planes and large amounts of people. And then you'll probably get pushback from the military and maybe even the president saying this film is un-American and there might be flack and suddenly movie theaters like Disney are thinking, shall I pull this film? And suddenly if you have a box office flop that's considered anti-American, suddenly you're kind of, your name is kind of mud in Hollywood and you can't get another uh, job going. You can't get another gig making another film. So people steer clear of this. You know, uh, getting rejected from the Department of Defense is a big, big deal. And a lot of films have their entire uh, outlook changed. I mean, one example is probably Charlie Wilson's War. I think that's the most crazy one. It's named after the eponymous Texas politician who was most famous for really being the driving force behind Operation Cyclone, which was the CIA's funding of the Afghan Mujahideen in the 1980s, which included Osama bin Laden, by the way. Um, the whole point of the film was... Uh, well, it was a decidedly anti-war take, and it was talking about how funding these absolutely crazy, radical, violent people in Afghanistan would have blowback one day. And the final scene of the film was actually on September the 11th, 2001, and you hear a plane that hit the Pentagon. And the whole point of the film has been driving up to this point, and the message is uh, the CIA funding bin Laden uh, ended and caused 9-11. But that script was clearly not going to be okayed by the military, who changed the entire thing, turned it into a tour de force for Charlie Wal uh, Wilson, this great American patriot. They took out the entire 9-11 scene at the end. And the final scene in the finished product is actually him being presented with the Presidential Medal of Freedom. So it turned from a decidedly anti-war, accurate anti-war film into an inaccurate pro-war film. And this happens on in hundreds and hundreds of different examples of uh, movies and TV shows all around the world. And that was the same for American Sniper, wasn't it? Yeah, I think, yeah, American Sniper definitely had uh, the Department of Defense's um, involvement again. I have no doubt. I haven't seen the actual documents for that, but I have no doubt that um, the military would have been leaning on the production company to take some of Chris Cowell's more, um, how shall we say, more colorful language and rhetoric and political opinions and try and jettison them out of the movie. And I think that movie actually started with September 11th and then scenes from September 11th then tried to kind of paint this image tying Saddam Hussein and the war in Iraq to, um, to September 11th in the same way that you just described. So there definitely was um, an attempt to change history um, at least the narrative of that. So I have a video that I want to share with everybody of Mike Prisoner. He is a conscientious objector. And I was just going to get your reaction to this, just Alan. Am I starting at the right time? 6.34? That sounds about right. Okay, yeah. yeah let's do it. You can hear it, right?
when you get back. They don't care if you go out to the woods and shoot yourself. They don't care if you end up on the streets right here in Skid Row. They have proven they do not care about our lives, and they have no right to dictate any control over our lives. I mean, what I my first impression of that is uh, he's basically said in a much more verbose and passionate way what I've been trying to uh, say over the past 20, 30 minutes. Um, I think, uh, yeah, Mike Preisner is a really interesting and remarkable person. He's a anti-war veteran now. He, I think he uh, served in Iraq, and that was an anti-Iraq uh, rally. And of course, he's completely right to say that the Iraq war started with lies lies that were perpetrated by the government to try to get the country into war and were parroted by the media completely uncritically. I say completely uncritically. There were a few critical voices like Chris Hedges, Phil Donahue, Jesse Ventura, but almost to a man, those people were forced out of the industry because of their uh, opposition to an illegal and immoral war that was, as we now know, very clearly based on lies. And yeah, I mean, listen, as I said before, veterans are chewed up and spat out. Mm. It's also uh, something that's not talked about too much, but uh, it's also an extremely sexist institution. Even today, one in three women, according to the VA, uh, uh, get sexually assaulted or raped while serving. Uh, and that's how many people are reporting it. So I wonder how many people are not reporting it. In fact, um, there was a huge scandal in the 1990s. It was called the Tailhook Scandal, where 83 women in uniform were sexually assaulted uh, in uh, one um, one series of events. And in fact, um, in the write-up of this, which caused national you know, scandal, um, just to bring it back to movies, um, the military actually talked about how there was a Top Gun mentality fostered uh, by the higher ranks of the military which allowed this sort of sexual assault to go on unchecked and even perhaps even promoted in some ways. And that that uh, reference to the Top Gun mentality was actually probably the main reason why Top Gun was nixed by the military for decades. They didn't want to touch the film, despite the fact that it had been such a commercial success. And we had to wait till the 2020s for a remake uh, with Tom Cruise in the leading role again. You mentioned Top Gun, and of course, one of your most read articles this year about the blockbuster film Top Gun Maverick um, is basically propaganda, military propaganda. Uh, uh, sorry, it's called Top Gun Maverick. It is military propaganda, and official documents prove it, and it can also be read only at Mint Press. So tell us about Top Gun and what your investigation found. And this is my final um, question for you, Alan. Um, yeah, okay, sure. So <clears throat> again, when you start getting these uh, documents from the freedom of information requests that um, researchers like Tom Secker, Trisha Jenkins, Matthew Alford have put in, you actually get to read the production agreements between big Hollywood companies mm. and the Department of Defense. And I think it should come as no surprise to find to hear that the Department of Defense was involved in the making of Top Gun. But I think a lot of people probably don't realize just how intimately involved it was. And in fact, when you read the DOD's, uh, or in fact, it was actually the Navy specifically, their internal communications, they're talking about how they have to, quote, weave in their key talking points, end quote, in exchange for granting the production company extensive access to military hardware. And so really from the, the beginning to the end of this movie, uh, which uh, you know, is just a, you know, a two-hour love fest for the, um, the Navy and for pilots in general, and it has proven to be a huge uh, draw for military recruitment, um, we find that this whole thing was very carefully set up to make uh, the military look as good as possible. This included using uh, aircraft carriers for free or for very cheap, like the USSS Theodore Roosevelt of the USS Abraham Lincoln. They were also allowed to borrow F-14 Tomcats or F-18 uh, Super Hornets as well to put the pilots through training and then to appear on screen. But in it, but, you know, as a quid pro quo, they have to, you know, basically get complete control of the script. 
so that um, this thing turns into, you know, it could have been an interesting story about the military or military life or hazing or, you know, what happens to veterans, but all of that sort of stuff is just cut out and it's just turned into a two-hour glory fest. And the real ironic thing is that this is actually costing the taxpayer money, of course, because this hardware doesn't come free. The extras that appear are still getting paid by the government, presumably. And so ultimately, I think the real story here is that the taxpayer is actually paying the US government to propagandize it into supporting yet more wars, exactly the things that are bankrupting America, and meaning that uh, we can't have things like social services, we can't have mental health checkups, we can't have decent education, we can't have, uh, you know, uh, we can't have free college, we can't have roads that work, bridges that don't fall down. All of this stuff is getting sidelined in order right. to channel hundreds of billions of dollars straight into the military. It's like Tupac said, they've got money for war, but can't feed the poor. And ultimately, that is the great irony of all of this, is that this military image of what we've got of the army as being this, you know, uh, very uh, loyal and a very sort of um, honorable profession actually comes from exactly the movies that the army and uh, the other branches of the armed forces are actually making and producing themselves. And very few people are actually aware that this is going on. Well, and it's no surprise that um, because only 9% of Gen Z um, have any interest in joining the military at all, that they've come to the come to use these kinds of tactics, whether it was through um, thirst traps, um, hypersexualizing women, targeting young horny men through the movies, through um, games, that they would be so desperate to, to target young people. But I hope that young people... Um, are better and and know that this is not the place to to go to pay for school. Um, Alan McLeod, you have brilliantly broken all of this down for us, um, and I wish we could keep keep talking because I know you have more to say. But um, thank you so much for joining us today, Alan. We really appreciate it. Um, and you guys can all find his work on our website at mintpressnews.com, and I have linked. Um, all of the articles that were referenced in the comment section. And we would appreciate it if you supported us through Patreon. Um, this show is made possible by our members. It's by listeners like you. And you can um, download and listen to the audio version of this podcast on all of your favorite podcast channels and platforms when you search Mintcast. Thank you, everybody, for joining us today. Thank you, Alan. Great to be with you again.